Good evening, and welcome to the Bloomer Baptist Church's Good Friday service. We come together tonight, today, all over the world to celebrate Good Friday together, to remember Jesus' great sacrifice. But what exactly is this? What does it mean that we're celebrating Good Friday? I got a very special note today from somebody who means a lot to me. I'd like to read just a little bit of it to you. It says this, it says, it is Good Friday, the day that God gave his life for us. But there is more to it than that. They whipped his side with a sharp leaded whip and scraped his back up. They pressed a ring of thorny branches into his scalp until the blood ran down his face. They stabbed nails into his wrist and feet with a hammer. He did all of this for us. He carried the weight of our sins on that cross. The one and only reason we are still alive is because of him. If he didn't do this, then our world would be full of sin and Satan. As he was up on the cross, he said, it is finished. He was saying that to mean that his mission to save us was finished. That is what Good Friday is about. And the reason we call it Good Friday is because he saved us. What a powerful God he is. This was wrote by a child, and I'll spare the name, that way we don't embarrass anybody. But that is the question I pose tonight, and what we're going to look to is, what is Good Friday? Why do we celebrate Good Friday? Tonight, we remember him. We remember Jesus. We remember his sacrifice, his great sacrifice. And although he had to die, it was not without reason. It was for you. It was so that his body broken, his blood spilt, could reverse the curse of sin and provide for us a way of life, life eternal with God. I plan on this service to be about 30 minutes long, and I'll try and stick to my notes as much as possible to try and stick to that. You see, tonight, as we remember him, I'd like to remind you that later on we'll be taking communion together, the bread and the cup together. So I hope you're prepared in your homes with some juice, with some crackers or some bread or something to be able to do this with me. Now, for some of you, this is very different for you. For some of you, you might be thinking, can we even do this? I mean, we're not in a church building. We're not with a hundred or more people. It's not the pastor handing it out. I wanna encourage you and challenge you and just say, do it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it has to be the pastor that gives this to you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can only do this when you're gathered with a hundred or more people or in this physical church building. That's not what it's about. It's about remembering Jesus. So if you're not prepared, then I ask you in the next song we're going to sing to get prepared. Find something in your house, a drink, a cup of juice for each one of your family members. And I challenge you, don't just watch me tonight, but get involved, interact, read the scripture, listen, and watch. And as we sing a couple of songs, I encourage you as families, let's worship together. And as families, as we take communion together, do it with your families, in your homes too. Don't just watch me, please. As we get started, I do want us to sing one song together. And again, I know this might be odd. Maybe your family's never just sat around your living room and sang a worship song together or a hymn together. 
Well, let tonight be the night that you make a new tradition of singing worship songs together. This is an old song, but a good song. It's a familiar song with great meaning behind the lyrics. And this song is called The Old Rugged Cross. So please pay attention now to the screen. There'll be lyrics in front of you on your screens for you to sing along. I will cling to the old 
and exchange it someday for a crown. I hope your family sang together that song, and what beautiful lyrics we have to remember to look to the cross, but at the same time, it's kind of weird to sing those lyrics. I mean, to sing such words as, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross, and I love that old cross. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. It's Good Friday, you see, and why is it good? Why do we sing such songs like this, like the old rugged cross? We worship the cross in a way. Why, how can we think of the cross as something good anyways? What is good about Good Friday? What are we here to remember today? Allow me to start by reading from Mark chapter 15, verse 33 to 39, and we read this. And when the sixth hour had come, There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. There was darkness in the land. There was a great quake. And people would start to admire this Christ and wondering, who is this man? What is happening? And it says in verse 39, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, and I quote, Truly this man was the Son of God. In John 19, 28 to 30, we read regarding Jesus' last moments. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So why is Good Friday good? What do we remember? I mean, I just read this scripture to you of what we remember, and it doesn't sound very good at first, does it? We remember Jesus' body hanging on a cross, suffering, dying, being starved of food and drink, being tortured, flogged, whipped, his flesh tore apart profanities and mockeries all around him, his body on display like a prized deer someone has shot and brought home to show off to their buddies. Mark 10, 34 tells us that they, and I quote, will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. This is what we remember tonight. This is what we're here to celebrate as part of Good Friday How in the world could this be good? I'd be lying to you if I 
didn't admit that as I wrote these words out and as I studied these words, I didn't have tears come to my eyes and have to wipe them away. I'll admit to you, I actually got a thing of tissues here next to the pulpit in case I broke out in tears just reading these words to you. And I jokingly told the few people in front of me that it was because of allergies. I've been sneezing all day. And that's not a lie. Allergies are here. But you know what? So is Good Friday. And this is what we celebrate. We remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples falling asleep around him, and one of his very own betraying him and leading to his arrest. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus is crying out tears of blood as he pleads with God that if there is any other way than to take this task away from him. But then he says, not your will, but not my will, but yours, Father. And he continues on with his mission. He pursues the completion of the mission of God. Jesus' closest disciples would deny him. We too deny him. We too betray him. We too mock him with our life. We too put him on that cross every day. But I just hope and pray and plead with you that as we put him on that cross, It's because we need him to forgive us of our sins. We need that savior. So why is Good Friday good? Why do we celebrate? Why do we look to the cross, that old rugged cross? Why do we wear jewelry around our neck, hanging from our ears, hanging on necklaces and bracelets? Why do we wear t-shirts with crosses? Max Lucado, in a devotional I read this week, also poses the question of why. And he says, it wasn't right that spikes pierced the hands that burned the earth. And it wasn't right that the Son of God was forced to hear the silence of God. It wasn't right, but it happened. For while Jesus was on the cross, God sat on his hands. He turned his back. He ignored the screams of the innocent Son. He sat in silence while the sins of the world were placed upon his son. And he did nothing while a cry a million times bloodier than John's echoed in the black sky. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was it right? No. Was it fair? No. Was it all some selfish act? No. Was it for love? Yes. You see, Good Friday is good because it's all about love. And now we start to transition to not just thinking about why is Good Friday good and focusing on the bad, but we look to the good. We see why exactly did Good Friday happen to happen? Why is Good Friday good? Why do we celebrate today? And we celebrate because what Jesus did on that cross, what God did through his son, wasn't just for himself, it wasn't just for his mission, for his will, but it was for us so that we might have this love. Good Friday is good because it demonstrates God's love for us as Romans 5, 8 reminds us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But you see, it was more than just a demonstration. It was more than just an act. It wasn't just some drama. It wasn't just some musical It's not something to make fun of. It's not something to mock and make a mockery of. 
It's not something that would be practiced on a stage or filmed in a movie and then just taken it away, taken away. This was real life. It was prophecy fulfilled. It was what we needed. His blood and body would, would be the new and final Passover lamb to be sacrificed to save us from sin and wash the curse away. You see, Good Friday is good because it brings life, peace, and hope to our lives. Lives which without him are without hope, without peace, and definitely without God. You see, it's because of Jesus that we can be reconnected to God, the Father, creator of all. We can have a, a reunification with the Father of all creation. We needed the cross and we needed Jesus, and that is why it is good. But more than this, as that letter I read at the beginning of the service reminds us, there's so much more, and only so much we can say in 30 minutes, but more than this, Good Friday is good because nothing could keep Sunday from coming. The second part of Mark 10, 34, which we read, says that three days later, he will rise. And yes, he did rise. Nothing could keep Jesus down. Hell could not keep Jesus down. The grave could not keep Jesus down. A rock rolled in front of his tomb would not keep Jesus hidden away from his mission. Jesus is not buried in that tomb still. He has risen. Good Friday is good because Jesus has been victorious over life, victorious over the cross, victorious over death, victorious over our sins and victorious over all things. And he is crowned today, not with a crown of thorns, but with a crown, a righteous, holy crown. Jesus has risen he has risen indeed. You see, death could not hold him. He is not in bondage, and because of him, neither are we. Good Friday is good because we can have freedom through him and his sacrifice. We remember his sacrifice. We remember Jesus. We remember this man, and no painting can illustrate exactly what this man did for us. They can help us, though. They can maybe bring us a little bit closer or help us to intimately connect them with him in a different way, but nothing takes the place of reading God's word and praying to him and com communing with him in spirit and in truth. We know the outcome of Jesus' sacrifice today. We know the good news when we need to trust in him. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is your savior. This is why Good Friday is good. This is Good Friday. The single greatest man in all of human history made the single greatest sacrifice. And all of this was for you. This is good news. But it does not end here. It ends in victory. As Jesus says, it is finished. And with those glorious words, we recognize that he took the full punishment of our sins so that we would not have to be punished. You see, Jesus was a substitute for us but he also was the propitiation of our sins. He took our punishment. He took God's wrath upon himself, which he did not deserve. He was innocent. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was the son of God. And yet he took it all for you, for me, 
for the world to have an opportunity, a chance at a relationship with God the Father without any barriers in the way. You see, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the works of Jesus that day on that cross. It's because of him. It's because of his grace. It's because of his mercy that we have this free gift of salvation. But do we accept it? You see, it is finished. Finished were the sufferings of Christ. Finished was Satan's stronghold or rule over humanity. Finished was our sacrifices for salvation, our offerings. Finished, Jesus defeated Satan, defeated death, defeated judgment and sin. In 1 Peter 2.24, it reads, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. God always completes his work and finishes what he plans. But I must admit to you that I still find myself somewhat sad. And as I was reading through the scriptures this week in Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, and others such as 1 Peter, and as we're gonna read in a moment, Isaiah, about this sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I think of all the people in the world, myself included, that are always trying to help people. You see, I'm a helper, and I always wanna help people. I always wanna save people, and not just spiritually, but also mentally and physically, and we're always looking for ways to help people. And I think of the suicide hotline number that flashes across Facebook, flashes across our TV shows at the end of a show, maybe, And I think about how we try to save people. And I just, it came to my mind of, why couldn't someone have saved Jesus? I mean, of all the people of the world, isn't this somebody that you'd want to save? And yet instead, his disciples fell asleep on him. Instead, his disciples betrayed him. Instead, his disciples denied him. Jesus told them multiple times, multiple times what was to come. Why couldn't somebody save him? Well, Matthew 16, 21 to 23 tells us that somebody did try to save him. Let me read. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter said, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Can you imagine being Peter now? One of his disciples, one of his close friends, and yet he pulls Jesus, the son of God aside, his mentor, his boss, his commander-in-chief, and he pulls Jesus aside and starts trying to tell Jesus, "Uh uh-uh, no, I don't want to hear any of this. In a way, I think about maybe that was Peter trying to counsel him. Maybe that was Peter like that suicide helpline or like us being a helper saying, Jesus, no, uh -uh, don't be talking about death. That's not good. You know what? You have so much to live for. You know what? You're so loved by so many of your followers and we need you here. But listen to Jesus' response. Jesus turned and said to Peter, 
Get behind me, Satan, with an exclamation mark. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, obviously, Peter is Peter. Peter is not Satan, but Jesus was on a mission from God. Jesus was on a mission to go to war against sin, our sin, not his own, a war on our behalf, and nothing would get in his way of victory. You see, Jesus knew that for anything to get in the way of this would be from Satan because Satan wanted nothing more than to prevent this. Satan wanted to have a stronghold over us. Satan wants to be in control of us. Satan wants to do anything he can to prevent us from connecting with God and Jesus. Satan wants to put a barrier between us. But Jesus says, no, I must do this because we don't know. Peter didn't fully understand Jesus's mission, but Jesus did. And Jesus knew that he needed to go to the cross. Jesus needed to die on our behalf to be the propitiation of our sins, to take on himself the wrath of God, the punishment, the judgment on our behalf. Good Friday is good because we needed a savior and God provided one. We needed someone to step in and take our punishment. Let me read to you just a little bit more of what Jesus did for you. From Isaiah 53, we read in verse four to nine, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus went through all of this. He was innocent, but he did it for you. Good Friday is good because he did what nobody else could. He did what you could not do for yourself. He did what you needed, what I needed, what all of us needed. He took upon himself the judgment of God so that we could have life. We need to remember his sacrifice. Good Friday is good. And we now have an opportunity we have a choice to make with our life. You have a choice to make with our life. Each day, we have a choice to make with our life. Will we live for him? Will we submit to him and his authority? You see, Jesus had full authority. Jesus had full control. And yet he still went to the cross willingly. Our sins may be washed away and all of us need to accept this. All of us need it. Romans, Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. But even though all of us have sinned, we all have a Savior too. Will you follow after that Savior? Will you submit to him as Lord over your life? Will you live according to his ways or will you continue just to keep living according to your own? And our ways do not lead to hope and to peace and to goodness of life. Only his do. You see, the son of God lived and died and would rise for us all. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in this son? Will you choose to accept his sacrifice? Will you remember his sacrifice with me today? Will you remember Jesus? Will you follow him? Will you accept all that he did for you as good? You see, we thirst for something more than what this life can bring to us, something more than what this world could ever bring to your life. We thirst for God. And in Psalm 42, 2, we read that my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We need to worship this God. Not the many things in life that you treat as a God, but the living God, the true God, the God of our forefathers, the God of our heroes of our faith, the God of the Bible. Psalm 42, 6 goes on to say, my soul is cast down within within me. Therefore, I remember you. Many of you on this day are suffering from afflictions. Maybe it's medical. Maybe it's mental or physical afflictions. Maybe it's spiritual afflictions. Maybe you are suffering today because of what's going on around us. Maybe you're an extrovert like me and you just, you can't stand being stuck in your homes. And now Tony Evers, our governor, has decided to close the state parks. No, That's where I was still going, and now I can't even go there. Maybe you're like this psalmist saying, my soul is cast down within me. For whatever reason that might be coming to mind, I urge you to also be like this psalmist, which says, therefore, I remember you. Remember God. Remember Jesus. Remember what God did for you, who he sent on your behalf to save you. I plead with you to give him your life now. And maybe you've already given him your life. Maybe you need to surrender something to him tonight. You see, tonight we take communion together in just a moment. And I encourage you to ponder your life. Reflect upon your life. How are you living your life? Are you living your life in a way which is worthy to proclaim Jesus as your Savior and Lord or not? Remember his sacrifice. Are you living for him? Before taking communion, I'd like to pray. And then after I pray, I invite you, if you have not yet, to prepare your cup and your bread, your crackers, whatever you have to take communion in your homes, prepare that. But let's, let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for going to the cross on our behalf, for taking the punishment of our sins upon yourself. Lord, you did not deserve that, yet you willingly went to the cross for us so that we might have peace with God, so that we might have life forevermore, so that we might have hope 
and to be able to call the God of all creation our Father. Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus now to die for us. We thank you that through Jesus we have this life, but we also have a Holy Spirit within us that empowers us for daily living and to do your will. We thank you for the gifts that we have in you. And Lord, now we pray as we recognize this day what Jesus did for us, we pray that we would not take it for granted. We pray that we would live every day in a way which is worthy of our calling. We pray that each day we would proclaim Jesus with how we live, with how we walk, with how we act, and with how we talk. And Lord, we pray for us now to submit to you. Lord, I submit to you, and I hope that people at home will too. Lord, I just hope and pray that now we would surrender it all to you and recognize that we needed a Savior, and you gave us one. So let's live with that glorious thought in our mind now. Lord, as we take communion today, now in a few moments, I pray that this would be honoring and glorifying to you. I pray that you would be exalted and glorified. I pray for the saints to be edified in their homes, the believers in you to be ever growing in their faith. And I pray for the lost to be found. Lord, I pray now for the lost to be found. Amen. So if you're watching at home, again, I invite you now, mom, dad, whoever is prepared to do this, get up and get that cup, get that bread ready. We're still gonna read the scripture that goes along with communion as well. So you'll have some time, but get prepared now. Do not eat it yet. Do not drink it yet. Please wait till I tell you so. You see, again, this is a great blessing that we have. I don't want to belittle it. I don't want you to think that this isn't good. I don't want you to think that this isn't as good as if it was if we were together. You see, I'll admit to you, I look forward with great anticipation and great hope to reuniting with you in physical worship of our Heavenly Father soon. But I also see what is happening as a great blessing. I see it as a great thing that God is bringing his people together. God is bringing families together. And in our homes, we can worship him. In our homes, we can take communion together. In our homes, we can disciple our children and our spouses. And men, that's not just you discipling your wives. Wives, in a way, that's also you challenging and discipling your husbands. I can speak from experience Boy, my wife challenges me a lot. And I mean spiritually, not just in life in general. Boy, I praise God for our families. So don't take this for granted. Don't belittle it. This is great. Those who are with me, um, please feel free to come forward now as you're ready. And let's go ahead and grab your cup and your bread. We'll start with my family here in the first row. And then just as you feel ready, just go ahead and grab a cup and grab a piece of the bread. And then please feel free to be seated with it. And again, don't take it yet, don't eat it yet, don't drink it yet, but let's just prepare now. Hold on, guys. Thank you.
As we grab our cups and our bread and we prepare, allow me to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29, which says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So as you hold this bread and this cup in your hands, all in this room, in your living rooms, in your kitchens, wherever you are, all over Bloomer, Wisconsin, Ohio, the country, the world, wherever you are, I ask you to reflect upon your life. I want you to just think about your life now. I want you to remember his sacrifice. I want you to remember what Jesus did for you on that day, Good Friday. And as we discussed earlier, I want you to think, is your life worthy of the calling? Is your life worthy of what he did for you? Now, as I say that, I want to remind you that we're never truly worthy. We're not God. We're not Jesus. That's why we needed Jesus. But more importantly, I ask you, have you submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you trusted in him? Have you confessed with your mouth that he is Lord? The bread that you hold in your hand symbolizes his body broken. The cup symbolizes his blood spilt. I want you to examine your hearts, submit to him and recognize what Jesus did for you and remember his sacrifice. Maybe you should just ask God to search your heart and reveal any sinful ways in you, Psalm 139. I want you to close your eyes now. And this might be hard with little kids around you, I know, so I'll try and keep it fast. But close your eyes and ask God to search your heart and reveal any sinful ways in you. I want you to also move to that next step, not reflecting, just reflecting upon your life, but repenting of of things in your life. Repent, it's kind of a fancy word. Say, I'm sorry. Is there something that you need to surrender to God now? Maybe you need to ask God to show you any ways that you've wronged someone else for which you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to ask God to show you any areas in your life that you're withholding forgiveness for for someone else. Maybe you need to ask God to show you in any way that you deny Christ by your actions. You see, because of his sacrifice, his body, his blood, we have a new covenant, a new agreement based not upon our works, but his works, his life, his cross. Good Friday is good because he did this all for you. So let's ask God to help you to better understand the gravity of your sin so that you might not sin against him. Ask God to help you to remember his words found in his Bible his holy and inspired word, so that we might not sin against him. You may open your eyes. 
Feel that bread in your fingers. Look at that cup. Now, our cups still look like um, red grape juice, so it still does look like Jesus' blood. And I want you to remember that salvation is free. And based upon the free grace and mercy of God, it's based upon Jesus. Remember his sacrifice. Let's pray for this bread and cup, and then we'll take it together. Lord, we thank you for this bread, this cup. We thank you for, for not just this physical thing, but we thank you for what it symbolizes. We thank you that Jesus' body was broken. His blood was spilt. Lord, we wish we could have saved him. We wish that he would have listened to Peter and found another way. But Lord, we know that he needed to do that. And we thank you that he willingly went to the cross. We thank you for sending your son. And we thank you that he, he allowed his body to be broken, his blood spilt so that we might have life. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant, the new agreement that we have and that we now can proclaim Jesus. We can proclaim Hosanna, save us, save us. And yet we can truly understand what it means. We have hope, we have peace, we have life all because of you. Thank you, Jesus, amen. Do this in remembrance of him now. Please listen to the song and just reflect upon what you're remembering now. And then I'll pray and we'll close. Thanks for singing with me. Hope you'll just sing as you like. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you.
I thank you for that video, and that's actually a local man that I know here on the bottom by the name of James Kane, who a uh, friend, one of my good friends Doug introduced me to playing disc golf of all things a couple years ago, and I saw that on Facebook this week. I asked his permission to share it with you. What a great way to end our service today by remembering how much we need him. Remember his sacrifice tonight. But as you remember his sacrifice, as you celebrate Good Friday, I ask you to do one more thing. Remember what happened three days from now. Remember that he has risen. He has risen indeed. And remember, Easter Sunday, we'll be celebrating, we'll be worshiping with you at 9.30 Central Standard Time. So I hope you're tuned in with me then. Thanks for watching today. You're dismissed.